When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We're talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. If you're listening to my show, you're looking for tips on how to work smarter, not harder. And let's be real. You're already working hard to earn your money. But how do you make sure that your money is working hard for you? Here's how. With a Betterment automated investment and savings app, your money will go to work They've got technology that will provide you with advanced tools, and they're built to help maximize your returns, not to mention your time. They have expert-built portfolios of low-cost exchange-traded funds. You know I love those exchange-traded funds. There's automated investing technology, and as part of that, automated rebalancing. Many of you have been asking about rebalancing, and it sort of feels like a hard thing to do on your own. With Betterment, easy peasy. They do it for you. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. Welcome to the Jill on Money podcast. It is Sunday, February 7th. It is Super Bowl Sunday. And in honor of that, uh, we have a great guest, one that you may want to actually use for your Super Bowl celebration. We have the founder and CEO at Slice, which is a very cool app. I actually downloaded it and used it right after this interview with the founder, Elir Sela, because it sounded so cool. And I've used it a number of times. Mark and I both have used it to get our uh, pizza deliveries from an independent pizza restaurant owner. It's fantastic. So I thought it would be really fun to run this. It's a great interview. It's an inspiring story of entrepreneurship. And so I, I hope you like it. I really did. Here is our interview with Slice CEO, Elir Sela. How'd you get into this? I mean, just because you like pizza or what's what's the uh, derivation of your love of the idea? And then the, how did the business form? I, I love pizza. Uh, I come from three generations of small business owners in the pizza industry. I have about 30 family members that own pizzerias, you know, across the country. And uh, personally, I have a tech background and I saw firsthand some of the challenges that they were facing, especially as some of the big chains started to really accelerate their performance by leveraging technology. And I felt that by bringing sort of that technology background forward, I can help the small business embrace that digital ecosystem and ultimately succeed. Uh, and so started by helping some, some family members with websites and online ordering. Fast forward to today, we work with 14,000 locations nationwide. You know, it's so funny. I'm sure people are going to listen to this and say, oh, this just started because of the pandemic. But this is now a decade that you've been doing this. Tell us a little bit about how it started and it did not begin as Slice. So talk about a little bit of the, the root of the of the business beginning. Started the company in 2010 as MyPizza.com. 
at the time, that was the domain name I was able to get. And uh, that ended up being my brand for the first six years. Every independent pizzeria has basically operated almost the same way. And I felt that by uniting this local segment and all of these great entrepreneurs, by, by bringing them together, that we can all be in business for ourselves, not by ourselves, and realize the power of community. And that was way back in 2010. Now, of course, there's a lot of family-owned businesses that are that are pizza, but I mean, obviously, a lot of smaller restaurants. We know that pizza sales have gone up during the pandemic. What is it about this particular category, pizza versus a diner, let's say? Why is it that this has become a category that has remained, even though there's big competition, but it has remained as standalone small business. What is it about that? Is it a low barrier to entry? It would seem to me that it's kind of expensive to get the pizza oven, but what's, what is it beyond that that makes it more of a, a small business owner category? It has a number of really important qualities. One, pizza as a product is an American institution. It is a really high quality product. It is inexpensive. And remember, for most of the country, the average household income is about $48,000 a year. So for so many families, it is their night out in. And it travels really, really well. Uh, you know, it's, it's made for delivery. And so when you combine those things, it ends up becoming a very frequent experience. So the average American orders pizza once a week. And so because of that, you have over the decades, thousands of local businesses opening up, in essence, in every neighborhood around the country. In fact, every neighborhood has a pizza shop. In fact, as more people have, you know, unfortunately lost their jobs, have been impacted by the pandemic, more people are turning to this category as a way for, you know, families to feed themselves on, on a budget. Sounds like you're also doing a lot of back office stuff for your clients or your partners. Um, talk a little bit about what those services are and why are you able to deliver those services to this disparate 14,000 group of, of owners in a way that's affordable to them, but also gets the job done? I see my family members. I know why they went into business. They went into business because they're really passionate about this pizza making craft and they want to earn a living and they want to control their own destiny. However, they did not go into a pizzeria business because they know marketing or understand technology or how to process payroll and file taxes. These are all chores, in essence, jobs to be done that they are not necessarily always qualified to do. And so what we really want to do is bring forward our expertise across these categories, allow the maker to focus on what they know best and what they do best while also accelerating the probability of success. So that's, that's at the core. The second sort of belief system we operate under is that by turning these independents into a community so that instead of them working just alone, learning from each other and sharing some services and economies of scale, as we say, then we can lower the cost of operating the business. And by doing that, we can pass that value back to the consumer in the form of better prices for the pizza, better quality for the food, faster delivery, and that becomes a virtuous cycle for local. Uh, and these are things that big chains like Domino's have realized for, for multiple years. No, it's interesting. Um, I read that part of the services that you are providing 
you're able to provide those services because you have some folks who are working overseas. So talk a little bit about what those people are doing and why does it make sense to hire someone outside of the United States to do some of the work that that could be done here? Yeah. Um, look, I've got a belief system that talent has no borders, uh, but unfortunately opportunities do. And so I come from, from Europe. I was born in, in Macedonia. I have family members there. There's a massive unemployment rate in the region. And for me, I felt that I can not only help family members with opportunity, but we could also get access to talent that was incredibly untapped. Hmm. Now, this is a belief system we have regardless of geography. We have a big team in the US. We have a team in Belfast, Northern Ireland. We have a team in Macedonia. We have a team in Argentina. And so it's an approach that we've taken as we've scaled our business in order to give ourselves and our partners, the, the small business owners, the greatest chance of, of succeeding. And so let's talk a little bit about your, your model. I uh, Let's just pretend that um, we've got Jill's Pizzeria on the Upper West Side, even though Little Italy Pizza is my neighborhood pizza place. What does it cost me? How do I sign up? Like, what's the process? And how, do you, how are you getting people to learn about what you're doing? Yeah, it's an incredibly simple process. Um, in fact, within 24 hours, we can take a pizza shop that is traditionally offline and doesn't have a website, doesn't have online ordering, isn't part of the Slice ecosystem. Within 24 hours, that all changes very quickly. There is no sign-up fee. There is no setup fee. We bring this incredible platform forward at no cost. And then we work together with the small business to help transition consumer behavior, the orders from telephone to digital, to online. Because when that happens, the pizzeria makes more money because of the consumer ordering more food and they order more frequently. So to do that, we charge $2.25 per order. Wait a minute. Wait. So Jill's Pizza, I sign up with Slice and I don't pay you anything out of the gate? Correct. But you charge $2.25 an order. So obviously I'm not, you know, you were not using that to send a slice of pizza, right? There has to be some um, amount of money for the order that would make it sense for that flat fee, right? Correct. So uh, our average order value is about $37. So hmm. for on average, a $37 order, a small business is paying $225. Hmm. We also do not charge for orders that are below $10. There is no fee for $10 or below. Now for the 225, what does the pizzeria get? Well, we take responsibility for the entire consumer journey. We handle the order, we process it, we handle the customer service. We make sure that, you know, we upsell the consumer. We follow up with the customers so that they can come back. So we actually retarget them with marketing like push notifications, text messages, emails. So we've run that entire playbook on behalf of the small business. So in essence, they're passing the cost of having to answer the phone and making a bunch of mistakes. So instead of paying for that, they're paying Slice to have a much more efficient operation and a much more valuable consumer. 
So wait a second. So let's think about that. So let's say uh, Grubhub or DoorDash, compare the models that they provide. I know that's come under a lot of scrutiny, especially during the pandemic, that there are a lot of small restaurants uh, that say, these guys are robbing me blind. I have a local, um, you know, sort of gourmet-ish store that says to me, you know, I'm losing money on some of these orders. So what is the difference between a sort of the Grubhub DoorDash model and your model? Yeah. Uh, and in fact, they're losing money on every order that comes from DoorDash or Grubhub. And, and it's by design. Grubhub, DoorDash, Uber Eats have sold small businesses on the promise of bringing new customers. So what they're saying is sign up with DoorDash and I'm going to give you access to all these consumers that don't buy from you. And therefore, I'm going to charge you a premium for those customers. And so it's lead generation. It's no different than in the old world, having, you know, phone number on the yellow pages and paying for somebody to call that for, for that lead. That's the promise of third-party aggregators. Slice's model is actually much more similar to Domino's or Starbucks. Starbucks has their mobile pay app. Domino's has their online app. And we operate with the belief that the vast majority of the business for any small business or large chain needs to come from online channels because that is the most valuable channel for both the customer and the business. And so we take a first party approach, not a third party approach, where we are the core partner to manage that digital transformation. It's not just, we're gonna send you new customers, it's that we're gonna take your existing business and move it online. And that's going to give you small business owner a bunch of cost savings and much more rewarding, much more valuable customers. I imagine that because, I mean, amid the pandemic, pizza sales have gone sky high. So presumably you have seen a big boost throughout 2020 for the business. Is that correct? Definitely. What do you think is the big challenge that lies ahead when everybody gets inoculated? It's six or nine months from now and people are like, oh, I cannot have another slice of pizza. I want to just go out. What happens to your business as people that pent up demand is worked out? Is that does that harm you or what does that do? Um, no, actually, the, the main reason why our business and, and pizza industry sort of has accelerated, part of it is definitely higher demand where consumers are staying at home and they're ordering takeout and delivery. But really, we're seeing the biggest acceleration in our business because the consumer and the small business have both realized how valuable ordering online and, and, and digital is. Because part-time employees were not necessarily showing up to answer the phone. They didn't want to put themselves at risk. Small businesses who really needed to make sure that they access all channels in order to stay afloat became much more open to the idea of working with companies like Slice to enable a technology solution. So I would say the, the vast majority of our acceleration has been from the consumer behavior going from calling to actually ordering on Slice. Mm. And then a slight sort of incremental lift beyond that has been just the consumer demand for for pizza in general. Amazon started with books and then became the everything store. Slice started with pizza. What's the next category? I mean, because of the name, I feel like there are only so many slices you can get. Maybe pie? Um, what What's the next category that you see expanding into if you do it all? 
Yeah, no, we're, we're really, really focused on the pizza industry. I Obviously, Amazon is, is a great company, but I believe that in order to keep local thriving, and that is fundamentally what grounds us, and that's our mission, you have to be specialized. You have to specialize and solve a lot of different problems for small business owners who aren't qualified to do that themselves and independently. And so for us, we don't have any thoughts about new categories in the near future. It's all about helping this industry make that transition to digital uh, and make sure that small businesses are here and stay afloat for a long time. Now, I know what you're going to tell me because every entrepreneur I talk to when I ask the following question says, no way, I'm going it alone. But you've just had a phenomenal year of growth. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not looking at your, your p and I'm just assuming that. And um, there have to be some big people knocking at the door. And so the question is, would you consider taking advantage of sort of a dumb money offer to take you out of this business or expand the business with a partner and cash out? I am incredibly open-minded about all opportunities that come forward that can help accelerate our mission and our vision. If there is a company that comes forward and we do get a bunch of inbound requests, but if there is the right relationship that presents itself that I know can create a, what I call a one plus one equals three scenario and help us accelerate our vision, I'm always really, really open-minded to that. But I wouldn't, I don't think of it as cashing out. I don't, I don't think of myself as doing something different, you know, five years from now, from now. So it's all about our mission. Fair enough. Let's wind the clock back for a year ago. It's the beginning of, let's pretend it's the beginning of 2020. And what did you think was going to be your biggest struggle for 2020 when the year began? I had just hired three new executives to my team. And I wouldn't say a struggle, but the number one area of focus for me was how do we now turn these six of us on, on our leadership team? How do we go from six individuals to one great team? It's so interesting. COVID, I try to look for silver, silver linings in everything that happens. And while we were presented, especially in the beginning with some incredible challenges for both our teams and, and our partners, what it did was it accelerated our team formation. Um, and it, it really forced us to become a great team quickly uh, instead of six individuals. But that was my number one objective going into the year. It's kind of like the sink or swim thing. Like, you know, those, I know some people, they were like in young relationships, like love relationships. And it was like, well, either COVID's going to make this thing just like flower blossom and it will be the one, or you're going to learn quickly. I do not want to be with this person. So I'm glad it worked out for you guys. So when you look ahead and, you know, you look back a little bit, because now it's, you have had 10 years under your belt. What's been really hard for you? What, what, are the, what do you hate doing at work? I don't hate doing anything, but what's really, really challenging for a founder and, and a CEO, and look, I've, I've never operated a company that's going to do, and we'll do over a billion dollars in transactions this year. Wow. I've, I've never been in that position. And when a company is growing that fast, my role has to, be, has to evolve almost every six months. I literally need to be a different leader six months from now. Uh, and I was absolutely a different leader six months ago. Recognizing that and being okay with that and open-minded to that sounds like an easy thing, but it's not. It's, it's incredibly challenging. 
And so that's the one area that I would say continues to be not necessarily a challenge, but it's a very difficult thing to accept. You know, I look forward to, to the challenges of, of kind of evolving in 2021, but that's always been the number one, the number one sort of challenge. If you um, meet with young entrepreneurs, oftentimes they have very different kind of backgrounds than you do. So let's just like call a spade a spade here, right? You're like, tough guy, grew up in Staten Island, didn't go to an Ivy League school, and you've had all this great success. And a lot of people feel like in order to be a successful entrepreneur, I have to go to Harvard or Stanford and have lots of rich relatives who start the process of seeding a business. Talk to the young, the young person or a family that's inspired by this story and tell them they don't need all of those fancy degrees. Give them a little bit of a boost here. Uh, whether you have a fancy degree or, or don't have a fancy degree, passion and learning and knowledge is, is really all you need. And uh, really, it starts with, for me, it started with something that was so personal and I'm so passionate about that it led me to learn everything about this one category, this one industry and, and what we're trying to do. Why that is important? It's because there's going to be some real, real challenges. And unless you're incredibly passionate about the direction you're going in, you're going to end up giving up. So what I see is a lot of people going and doing things because it's how they think they're going to make the most money or because they think it's what they went to school for and they're, you know, maybe went to Harvard. But really, it's it's all about passion and the belief that you are the best person on the planet who can solve a very particular problem and a need. And you don't need a crazy background, like a Harvard background in order to do that. That opportunity, that's the beauty of America. That opportunity is given literally to basically everyone. Find that passion, immerse yourself in that domain and take a very long-term approach. Well, thank you so much for listening. I hope your team wins the Super Bowl. No, I don't. I want Kansas City to win. Let me just be clear. So sorry, all of you New Englanders who are still rooting for Tom Brady, your traitor. Anyway, I root against him. He's won enough. We hope that you are managing your money smart, effectively, efficiently. But if you need a little handholding, just send us an email. Ask Jill at JillOnMoney.com. Ask Jill at JillOnMoney.com. And if you wouldn't mind, could you leave us a rating and a review? We would really appreciate this and pass it along. Pass along our podcast to whoever you think could use it. As always, wash your hands, wear your masks, maintain your physical distancing, and lift someone up today. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.